We commence today's program in tribute to former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Mrs. Carter uh, lay in repose uh, at the Carter Center in Atlanta. She'll be memorialized today at Glenn Memorial Church at Emory University. I am pleased to be joined uh, by two guests right now to talk about the life and legacy of Rosalind Carter. Aaron Glantz is a Peabody award-winning journalist who is senior editor at The Fuller Project. And Avery Davis Roberts is associate director of the Democracy Program at the Carter Center. Please welcome both of them to this program. Aaron, how are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Good to have. Uh, good to be with you. Good to have you on. And Avery, how are you today? I'm very well. How are you? If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well and delighted <laughs> to, to have you have you both on. Avery, let me start with you. I've had the honor of uh, not just uh, uh, visiting the Carter Center, but uh, being invited by the president uh, a couple times to lecture at the Carter Center. Um, so it's a, it's a great facility, and again, just honored to have been there um, a couple of times during the life of. Uh, Rosalind Carter uh, and Jimmy Carter, of course, who will be at this memorial service today, President Carter. Um, so let me just start by asking the mood, the, the, the thoughts uh, um, that uh, you are hearing expressed about Rosalind Carter today at the Carter Center. You know, I think as I was reflecting on this this morning, so we, we had a, uh, the beginning of her sort of period of repose, as, as you mentioned yesterday. And mm-hmm. I think the mood, you know, was certainly somber, as you would expect in a moment like that, but really sort of underlying that 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 feeling of of um somberness there was really just a sense of celebration of a life well lived you know someone who just gave so much uh, her whole life had a long life a happy marriage wonderful children and grandchildren and great grandchildren that she loved very much around her for 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 all of her life and so just really so much to celebrate. And so while it's a little sad, it's also been something that I think has been really a moment for us to celebrate her life and and look forward to sort of thinking about how her life can continue to inspire us as we we move forward and take her vision and her legacy on through the years at the Carter Center. Basically 80 years together, hard to even say that, 80 years she and Jimmy Carter spent together. Uh, And long before before the country was offered this sort of two-for-one package with Bill and Hillary Clinton, um, Rosalind Carter and Jimmy Carter came as a team. They were lifelong partners. And so much is said, of course, about him. Uh, Makes sense. He's former president. But what would you say her imprint has been on the Carter Center specifically? Well, I mean, you know, she's, I think, best known for all of the work that she has done for the last 50 years, might I say, mm-hmm. on mental health uh, issues, reducing the stigma around mental health, really working to promote parity for mental health um, in the context of insurance policies, you know, thinking, sort of taking a systems approach to how we can improve mental health, increase wellness in, in the United States and around the world. But she was very much, as you say, his partner not just uh, in their marriage and in the White House, but in their leadership of the Carter Center. And so, you know, her her finger was is it was on the on all of the work uh, done by the center in the health programs, but also in in the peace programs where I work and all of our election related work and our human rights work. She was very much a leader. You know, she President Carter is often thought of as the sort of the leader of many of our election observation missions. Well, she was often there with him co-leading those missions or leading missions herself sometimes. So she was very much his partner um, in the leadership of the center over the course of the last 40 years. In so many ways, mental health is an issue that uh, we still don't take seriously enough in this country. We only talk about it uh, seemingly uh, when um, uh, somebody has uh, grabbed a weapon and killed a bunch of people. 
uh, and then uh, we discover more about their backstory. And, we, and for the moment, we will have a conversation about mental health. We have mental health conversations when we talk about the, the, about homelessness um, and particular acts uh, that homeless persons are accused of. But it's only in those sort of spaces, homelessness or uh, some some gun rampage, where we ever can wrap our brains around mental health. As you heard uh, Avery Davis Roberts say a moment ago, uh, Rosen Carter spent uh, half a century working on this issue in a way that nobody else ever has, I think. Uh, and her mental health advocacy has changed journalism, I think, it's fair to say, and journalists. Uh, Aaron Glantz wrote a powerful piece um, uh, called Rosen Carter, uh, talked about uh, rather how Rosen Carter helped uh, him find a new purpose. We'll give him the microphone and uh, allow him to express himself with regard to how her advocacy changed the way he does his journalism. Every living former first lady in Atlanta today to memorialize uh, Rosalind Carter will continue our tribute to her when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Ranked number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Made fresh daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Continuing our tribute now to former First Lady Rosalind Carter, who's being memorialized today in Atlanta. Uh, Please be joined by two guests, Avery Davis Roberts, uh, who is the associate director of the uh, Democracy Project uh, program, I should say, at the Carter Center. And Aaron Glantz, Peabody winning radio, print and TV journalist, senior editor at the Fuller Project. So, Aaron, I I wanted you on, I invited you on because I saw this powerful piece you wrote uh, about um, what Rosalind Carter did for the kind of journalism that you engage. I don't want to color the, uh, what you wrote too much since you're here and can speak for yourself in your own words. So take it away, Aaron Glantz. Well, thank you so much, Tavis, for, for having me on. And, and you know, I wrote about uh, in the piece about how I came home from Iraq myself. Uh, you mentioned that she uh, was very engaged in mental health programs and in getting us to think about mental health, even when uh, there is not uh, some kind of violent incident. And in 1996, she founded a fellowship program uh, for journalists who wanted to focus on these things. Um, so I came back from Iraq um, in 2005 after three years reporting there, and I began to uh, focus on the conditions that veterans face back home. Uh, I did stories about veterans who died by suicide. I did stories about veterans uh, who were denied their benefits and were living in uh, you know, their trucks and their cars despite... Um, you know, the reason for that being uh, that they were wounded in the war and could not work. Um, I just filed story after story, and, 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 and without a real purpose to it, I was just trying to inflict this pain that I had on the world, I think, through my journalism. Uh, but when Rosalind Carter gave me this fellowship, and I traveled to Atlanta, and I met with her as part of a cohort of journalists um, tackling mental health issues, the very first question she asked me was, how will you make an impact? with this work. Uh, how will you use the power of journalism to, to fight the stigma of mental illness and make change? And, um, you know, as, as First Lady, Mrs. Carter uh, came into the White House at a time uh, where we were reeling with the horrible mistreatment of Vietnam veterans mm-hmm. uh, who came from the, home from the war and were told that they simply weren't tough enough right? And that, that the fact that they couldn't sleep at night or, um, you know, that they were falling into addiction or homelessness was their fault. And she was very determined to make sure that that did not happen uh, for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. And she was very early uh, in her investment in that question. And so um, she 
She was present the entire time that I was in Atlanta for training, giving notes, listening to all the journalists who were there, providing feedback and guidance. Uh, and the following year, um, uh, she invited uh, journalists from all across the country to come to the Carter Center uh, who uh, were going to be tackling military and veteran issues. Not big-time reporters from, like, the New York Times and Washington Post, although they were there, but, but smaller reporters from... Uh, you know, from the black media, from mm-hmm. regional newspapers where uh, where veterans were actually coming home, and making sure that we were not making those same mistakes uh, that we made in the Vietnam era again. Mm-hmm. I, I opined on this earlier, as you heard, uh, about the way uh, the ways in which we do or don't, for that matter, cover mental health. Let me just uh, pause on, on, on the Rosalind Carter piece of this for just a second. Um, since you were there and were empowered and inspired by her, Aaron, all those years ago, let me just ask you, how do you think all these years later we are doing in this country, the media that is, uh, when it comes to talking about uh, mental health? We we have a lot, a long way to go, as you just said, but we are miles away from where Rosalind, where we were when Rosalind Carter got involved in this. Uh, we we no longer have uh, you know headlines uh, uh, in newspapers calling people insane or crazy and and having that on the chyron uh, of television screens. There is there's hundreds, literally hundreds of journalists like myself uh, who have been trained in best practices by Mrs. Carter. And actually, if you look at the piece that I wrote uh, about Mrs. Carter. Uh, and her legacy in this area that was published by NPR, NPR's standards editor added a note there um, that said that if reading this made you feel distressed and had suicidal thoughts uh, because of um, because of the, the heaviness of what I was writing about, that, that here's the here's the place to go to get help. Mm-hmm. That is not something that would have existed even five years ago. Mm-hmm. But it is now in the muscle memory of many media outlets because of the work that Rosalind Carter did. And 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 in the aftermath of her death, I've been reaching out to other journalists uh, like myself who have been touched uh, by Mrs. Carter, and I wrote about it in the piece. And one of the things that she did was she gave all of us who, who care about mental illness and mental health and good coverage of it, a place to come and work together. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed, uh, you know, uh, Sarif Hawk, who's a Cambodian-American journalist who's, who, who's a refugee uh, from the Khmer Rouge genocide who wanted to cover the long-term psychological impact on her community uh, of that atrocity. Um, I, uh, I talked to uh, Brett Schultes, who's uh, a journalist in Pennsylvania who did a project on the mistreatment of mentally ill in jails and prisons, uh, but whose own brother uh, suffered from mental illness um, and ended up dying of a drug overdose as a result. And, and all of us were able to come together through the convening of journalists and the movement that Mrs. Carter was trying to build. And, and she gave us a place to go. She gave us a sense of purpose. And she gave us a way to pay it forward. And so I'm glad to have this opportunity here with you, Tavis, to, to talk about that because because you're now part of that paying it forward. No, indeed we are. We all are. Uh, and honored, honored to be so. Um, so, Avery, I, I've had the honor in my career, I think as this audience knows, to interview President Carter more times than I can count. I mean, I literally have a library <laughs> of all of my conversations over the years. I, I consider him... Uh, a friend, and we've sat for many conversations over the years on radio and television. Uh, 
And so I, I, I know him uh, to some degree. And the thing that you mentioned earlier that he is most celebrated for around the world um, is his laser focus on democracy. We talk a good game in this country about spreading democracy around the world. But here is a, a person who has dedicated himself to traveling literally millions of miles around the world to make sure uh, that elections are fair and free and that democracy has a chance to 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 uh, to be seated and, and, and to grow to your earlier point, though. And you sort of, you know, you, you, you teed this up. I want to go straight to it, Avery. Um, Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. did not do that alone. So you hear Aaron now talking quite brilliantly about the role that she played for 50 years, uh, as you mentioned, on mental health, Avery. But tell me more about the work she did alongside Jimmy Carter with regard to the democracy program that you are part of at the Carter Center. Yeah, thanks, Tabas. Yeah, so she and, and President Carter were definitely, as I said, equals uh, when it came to, to leadership of all of the programs at, at the Carter Center, although obviously the mental health program and the work with um, the, the journalists that Blaine was just describing was, you know, her mm-hmm. her uh, wheelhouse. But mm-hmm. uh, they did so much together, and she participated as a co-leader on Many, many, many of the Carter Center's election observation missions. I think my, my, the very first election observation mission that I worked on at the Carter Center in 2004 was to Indonesia. Uh, and she and President Carter were there together co-leading that mission. And uh, I think the, the last mission that I worked on internationally was, um, to Egypt. And she also came with President Carter, uh, on those missions. And, you know, it was always, um, a pleasure to be with the two of them on those missions because you could really, see how they worked together, mm-hmm. how they brought their different strengths uh, to the work, um, and how they really had sort of honed this, yeah, this team dynamic between the two of them. And when we'd go out on election day, you know, as an election observer, you go out to the polling stations and you've got long checklists of very specific questions that you are trying to answer. So that you really, at the end of the day, you know, our team will have a very full picture of how the election is going on election day. And Mrs. Carter's approach is to answer every single question and to take very detailed notes because she would want us to basically see what she had seen, to really know everything that was happening in that polling place. And President Carter's approach was a little bit more sort of atmospheric, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. He was a little less attentive to the details of those checklists. And so, you know, it was always good when they went out together because she could really, he would give you the sort of overall sense of the place Mm -hmm. and she would really have spoken to every single person who worked in the polling place Mm. talked to voters she'd have descriptions of you know how people were waiting and how many women were waiting with their children to be able to vote and how long had they been there and how far had they come and what did this mean to them to be able to vote so she really was a detailed sort of surveyor of the environment and added so much richness to the work that we did on all of our election observation missions with her. There's no doubt about the fact that we still have voter suppression issues in this country. uh, And uh, um, it is it'd be laughable if if it weren't so serious that here we are monitoring, uh, observing elections around the globe, and we still, again, have voter suppression issues in our own country. Uh, we still don't have a, uni- a United States Senate that can pass meaningful voting rights reform. And we all just saw days ago uh, a federal court gut uh, a particular and important piece of the Voting Rights Act uh, that makes it harder for, for, for folk who have been violated to sue uh, the government. And so we, we have our own issues uh, in this democracy, this experiment in democracy, uh, as I would, uh, would call it, 
called America. I, I offer that as a background uh, because I want to ask the following question, Avery, and that is, and you, you gave us some sense of this, but for all these years, we've been hearing about Jimmy and Rosen Carter traveling the world, monitoring elections. Again, you gave us some insight, but from a personal perspective, tell me what it's like. What, what, what's it like to be an election observer as an American in another country? Well, you know, I think when I when I first started out at the Carter Center, it was in the early 2000s, and it was, um, you know, following the the 2000 election, it was very difficult to be going and talking to people about elections because <laughs> yeah. people say, "Well, what about yours? What about those hanging chads?" Sure. Huh? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a question that we had we we sort of had to respond to then, and then have since had to respond to, but from a di- sort of different perspective in the last several years. Um, I think you know from the perspective of the Carter Center, we have always approached this with a sense of humility. We know that, as you say, this is an experiment. We are all working on this, mm-hmm. that um, we are working on it as much as people in the Democratic Republic of the Congo are working on it, as much as people in you know, Germany are working on it. We all have to c- keep working on it and be continually sort of vigilant mm-hmm. in our support and our promotion of our democratic practice. And it is a practice. It is something we have to do. Every day it is an action we take mm-hmm. to do democracy. Um, and so, you know, this has been rewarding for me in the last few years. Since 2020, the Carter Center has also started turning our attention to democracy and election issues here in the United States. And so it has been just really, I think, for many of us on, on the staff at the Carter Center, and I know for President and Mrs. Carter as well, you know, something that we felt was important for us to do to be able to when we go and work internationally, to be able to say, well, we know that we are not perfect. We are also taking care of what's happening at home just as much as we're here to help you take care of what's happening in your home. We all have to do this together. So it's been, it's been, we feel glad that um, one of the things that President and Mrs. Carter have been so supportive of in the last several years has been a focus more on what's happening here in the United States and finding ways that we can bring our international experience and our international expertise back here to the United States. Got about 90 seconds left, Aaron Glance. We'll give you the last word. What say you about the legacy of Rosalind Carter? I'm, I'm just thinking about her decency and her power and listening to Avery right now talk about um, the way she behaved uh, overseas. That's exactly the way she behaved with us journalists. And I'm reminded of uh, a conversation I had with this Cambodian-American journalist, Sarif Hawk, who told me that it was only after she got the Carter Center Fellowship in uh, 2022, so just last year, that she learned that Mrs. Carter went to the refugee camps in Thailand in 1979 and, and worked to get Cambodian refugees uh, into this country. And so uh, it was an active war zone at the time. She showed tremendous courage in going there. But she, like Avery was saying, she didn't call a lot of attention to herself. And then decades later, one of the people who was able to come to this country because of her work ends up doing important journalism about mental health in this country. Just sticking to it, that kind of decency and power over so many years, um, I'm so blessed to be able to honor her memory with you today, Tavis. No, thank you for the opportunity to share um, with the audience um, your experiences with her. I have never in my life uh, or certainly rarely met more decent people than Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, and it's my great honor to have had this opportunity to join uh, uh, the Aaron and Avery show, if I can put it that way, Uh, the Aaron (laughs) and Avery show in tribute to uh, Rosalind uh, Carter. Every living former first lady in Atlanta today 
for the memorial service for Rosalind Carter at the Glenn Memorial Church at Emory University. She's been lying in repose at the Carter Center in Atlanta uh, yesterday and this morning. Uh, and tomorrow, um, the private uh, service for family and friends back in Plains. It all began in Plains. It all ends in Plains. All roads lead to Plains for Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. Aaron Glantz is a Peabody Award-winning radio, print, and TV journalist, senior editor at the Fuller Project, uh, and uh, also California bureau chief for the Fuller Project. Avery Davis Roberts is associate director of the Democracy Program at the Carter Center in the ATL. Aaron, all the best to you. Avery, thank you for your time. Both of you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you for coming on our program. More when we come forward on Tavis Smile. <laughs> 